You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to TFM's local watering hole, and I am just one of your hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and I am sorry to say that Christy Morris could not be with us this week uh, for some health-related reasons. I don't think she'd mind me telling you that. Uh, We all know that uh, Christy uh, has some of those things that happen from time to time, and so uh, I have called in the Calvary, and what can I say? Uh, The best around. Uh, and no one's ever going to get him down. Uh, and his name is John Mills. Well, wow, that's a really flattering way to uh, tell me that I'm 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 pinch hitting for a much superior co-host. So, uh, <laughs> best wishes to Christy, and I'll try not to screw everything up while you're out. I uh, yeah, well, well, please do. Uh, so, but we're no, it's super excited. Obviously, you know, John, we just started Snyder Cuts here on, on the network, and and people have been listening to that. So it's fun to have you here for this one. And I know Christy's sad to be missing uh, what we're going to be talking about this week. And I'm sure everybody realized we're going to be talking about the Karate Kid. In fact, you know, with movies still being on hiatus from our lives in in the theaters, um, we're going to be revisiting some great. And I do mean some fun series uh, here. Obviously, we started Rambo there with you, John, and we're going to be talking about the Karate Kid series as well, leading all the way to the Cobra Kai series. So, uh, And uh, I'm really excited. Uh, so tonight is the Karate Kid. But before we get there, I want to remind everybody that you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts, we'd appreciate a star rating review. We'll read your review on the show if you give us one. You can also find us all over the place on Twitter at the 602 Club. We're on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. Please, if you're listening to the show, follow us over there. We'd really appreciate it. Um, if, if everybody that listened to the show followed us over there, it'd be amazing. Uh, and so we're also, you know, sharing things with people all the time. Uh, and we love interacting with you. So let us know what you think of the shows over on the Babel Conference, which is our listeners only discussion group where you can talk to listeners from all over the world about what's going on here on the network. You can find us online at Trek FM or on Facebook at facebook.com slash Trek FM. You can go to the website at trek.fm slash contact and choose a show, uh, and you can send us an email. We did get an email, John, and I wanted to uh, get back with that person. Hey, we have covered uh, two of the Alien movies uh, here. We've covered Alien and Aliens uh, on the show, so you can find that uh, in the feed there, or you can search the website, and you'll be able to find those those two episodes. So we have covered uh, that part of the Alien series. We have not covered any more of the Alien series uh, well, wait. Oh, we did because we covered Alien Covenant as well. Uh, so my bad. I totally forgot about that. Um, but so no, we've not covered everybody like, else. Prometheus or any of those. Alien Alien Covenant was way better than Prometheus. So you shush. Um, so, mm. I, John, I'm really uh, one of the things about uh, the Karate Kid is that I think it is one of those movies that. Uh, you know, for our first kick, I honestly can't remember when that was because this feels like one of those movies that has been in my life forever. So do you do you remember the first time that you saw this? Oh, it would have been on videotape. Um, I, I grew up in a backwater and we didn't even have a movie theater that was less than 45 minutes away <laughs> until I was about 13 or so. So yeah, it would have been videotaped the first time I encountered this movie. And I, what I remember primarily about it, besides the fact that everybody loved it, everybody, I mean, it, it truly was, it was, it was a movie that everybody seemed to enjoy. I, I never heard a bad word about it. Um, like it just, Right now, this many years later, it's just ensconced in what I guess it kicked off, no pun intended, uh, where it, I mean, the martial arts craze reinvigorated itself afterward. And just we got tons and tons of martial arts movies 
up to and including you know, like Bloodsport. And you, you might say to yourself, but Bloodsport, that's an R-rated movie that has Jean-Claude Van Damme. What could that possibly have to do with the Karate Kid? Well, movies like that got, they got traction because the Karate Kid was a big, huge hit. Everybody loved it. And so it just followed that there were going to be a bunch of martial arts movies for the rest of the decade. And some of them were great and some of them were awful. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> hey, it is what it is. You know, it's funny because I do, uh, I'm like you in the sense that this is obviously something I saw as well uh, in, uh, you know, just at home on VHS. And, but it is a movie that I, you know, I grew up with. And it's, it's one of those movies that which, you know, uh, when I think back to, you know, those, some of those 80s movies that, you know, kids did grow up with, you know, this one is so uh, family friendly. Like, that's mm-hmm. the thing that, you know, it truly was a really family-friendly movie. There wasn't a ton of language in the movie. You know, you don't have um, a ton of kids just being brats all the time. You know, I mean, and the messages in this movie are great. And so, I, I rewatching it, you know, I was just kind of surprised to be reminded of just how good of a family movie this is. And, I you know, even today, you don't get many like this where it's just full of great messages, full of good characters and in something that you would be okay with the entire family watching from your youngest to your oldest, you know? So, um, that's something that really impresses me and has stayed with me the whole time. And, but I was, I don't know if, if you've ever done any reading behind the scenes, John, but what was fascinating to learn is that this was actually an autobiographical story, um, from the screenwriter, uh, Robert Mark, Cayman, and he kind of grew up in in much the same way that our lead character does. It, well, he he was getting beat up by bullies, and and he goes to search out you know uh, martial arts to defend himself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I it, yeah, it's um, the, I guess the best writing. You know, they they always say write what you know, sort of thing. Uh, and it's it's interesting. It's intriguing because I think that there is such a different approach to the topic of bullying now than there was back then. Because Daniel deals with the problem, and I know that I dealt with my own problems in my own way, sort of thing. I I got bullied plenty when I was a kid and stuff like that. But you know, everybody sort of deals with it in their own way, and that would have been a very relatable way you you went and you learned how to fight so that you could defend yourself because you know people were people could be terrible and in especially in the days of you put yourself at that time what was daniel going to do was he going to instagram what was going on and put it up there for people to see or anything like that it's there's that that feeling of powerlessness uh that exists for a bullied person that can you know motivate them to go on and and do stuff and what's interesting about it though is growing up i mean this is very much i think a a fairy tale version of it in the sense that the bad guys are ramped up really they're super bad guys like the cobra kai gym and so yes there's a relatability to it um i know that i showed this to my older kids uh, when we moved actually uh, south because, you know, our big thing was no more terrible winters, no more colds, no more. And and our kids the same way were, I like those things. Why am I here in the heat? I don't want to be in the hot weather. And so that Daniel's adjustment is very relatable sort of thing. But, you know, getting back to sort of that fairy tale aspect, they definitely amped everything up. So there's that grain of recognizable reality to it but it's very much um you know it, it's it's a larger than life telling of that yeah no I, I and i think you're absolutely right in that sense like they as we talked about on snyder cuts you know you don't let the truth get in the way of a good story you know and right. so that's what we're doing here and, and in some ways uh, sylvester stallone had often joked that uh came and it had just ripped off the rocky films with karate kid and, and there's a similarity to that like the underdog kid and you know that which works completely um and 
I didn't know this, but DC Comics actually had a character called Karate Kid that the filmmakers had to use permission, get permission mm-hmm. from DC Comics to use. Um, so uh, I thought that was really interesting as well. But, I, you know, I do think it makes it... One of the things that stood out to me, and the reason I brought up this history of the film, was because this movie does have a sense of authenticity. Like, watching it, there is this air that this could be anywhere with any kid in any town, you know? And I think that's what makes this movie last, right? Like, that there... Every time you watch it, it just feels authentic. And yes, it's in the 80s, but gosh, this this could be almost any time, you know? And I think there's something special about that. And, you know, and in some ways like the Rocky movies too, where you've tapped into a really specific feeling that so many people have gone through. And this movie helps you find a way to deal with that difficulty um, that so many people end up facing in life. And so mm-hmm. I think that's something that's just really special to me about this movie even now. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, you know, I, I mean, it, it's, it's tough to uh, address this from sort of a dispassionate angle just because it, when you encounter this movie as a kid, it very much sticks with you at that time. Because that feeling of being lost, of life being out of your control, of you don't have a say in everything that you want it to be. And, you know, even even the aspect of that girl that you really like is not her parents don't really like you and you're sort of from different. I mean, the thing that I think is very you know, I mean, aside from other structural things, but the thing that's very much uh, akin to Rocky is how blue collar it is. And uh, I, I, you know, I came up in, you know, a, a blue collar area. Like we, we all had fled out to the suburbs and stuff like that. And so there's very much that it's a very relatable situation where you see, Daniel realizes when he's at, you know, when he goes to the country club or he meets her parents or anything like that of, oh, yeah, I, I don't live in the rich neighborhood. I don't, so, you know, and that, that, and I think that Machio plays a really, plays it really, really well. I think he's directed very well in this where you can see his body language sort of alter as he realizes he's a fish out of water now. I, I'm really glad you brought that up because I I do think that that's a part of the authenticity here, and because they don't shy away from the in the end he's going to be a blue collar hero, you know mm-hmm. he is the kid who's going to have to work for everything, and he's going to work have to work harder than everybody else, you know, and that's kind of part of the storyline as well, you know, that this is this is not going to be something um, that he he can only do and you know he can't just half-ass it you know and, and Miyagi gets on him many times for that right like goofing off and not taking it seriously and you know like this is something you're gonna have to put a lot of hard work and a lot of time and effort into and yeah I mean it, it, it I would say the most fairy tale aspect of this is it only takes two months for him to get good enough you know to win in this tournament but you know but it's um but we also see that in the movie that he spends a lot of time doing it. You know, like you you have the montage of him spending time um, just out with himself on the boat, you know, learning balance and, and learning the moves and, and practicing the crane kick. You know, even when, you know, uh, Miyagi da- isn't necessarily around, you know, you get this this thought that like he's he's just out there. He's doing it. You know, he's 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 putting in the time and the work. And that is again that's a, that's a classic Americana blue collar thing and I think that kind of that's what leads to the authenticity of the film because it feels so American really like that's that's the best of our attitudes about things I'm going to work my butt off to get where I want to be and if I work hard enough I can get there it might not be the way I thought but I can do it Yeah it is. It's it's definitely part of the the fairy tale we all 
we all want to believe in. And I think that those aspects uh, help the movie a great deal because there are, there are certain things that work against its authenticity. Um, even though you don't necessarily want them to. And when you're a kid, you don't really see them. But I, I was saying to my wife after watching it this, this most recent time that looking at it through adult eyes and, you know, maybe a little bit more business acumen, you know, in my brain from just paying attention to the way the world works. But uh, Cobra Kai, Jim, there's no liability waiver that's large enough for that place to exist. <laughs> like true. it was the zero, 80s, though, you know, I, I know. But like, the, no, there's 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 no way there's no way that that uh, I mean, especially Johnny Lawrence is a child of privilege. There's no way that he walked out, you know, with a black eye one time and his parents didn't sue that place into the ground sort of thing. <laughs> that was still a thing back in the 80s. So, you know, like and but that's the interesting thing, too. Right. Is as you point out the authenticity, it really does act as a counterbalance and you intuitively let the other stuff that you would normally pick at slide because the stuff that really needs to be authentic, the relationship between Daniel and his mom, the relationship between Daniel and Mr. Miyagi, those things work so well that you you agree to just go along for the ride and you know the type of story you're going to get. And so I, th I think that that, that anchor of authenticity helps the rest of it uh, slide along too. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And, and, uh, you know, I, I was maybe a little reticent to bring this up just because it's something that it's so hot button and hot topic. But, you know, one of the things that I really found about this movie that I thought was brilliant is the way in which this movie is about toxic masculinity and um and the danger of of it you know um sure. and, and I found it brilliant that the the way that this movie obviously will you know juxtapose that against you know what we have with Miyagi um but I I felt like this movie is still beautiful in the sense that it really deals with the way in which men can push men to act in a way to which they feel like they own everything everything mm -hmm. they deserve everything and if it they don't have it they they should just take it by force and mm -hmm. they play this out really beautifully i mean just the way that you know you see uh, you know, Johnny come down to the beach and, and start pushing people around to get what he wants. And, you know, of course, you know, Allie isn't really paying attention to him. So he just starts being rougher and, and meaner, like as if that's going to really, you know, get the girl's attention the way he wants. And, you know, so I, I just I was really blown away watching the movie again. And it just struck me how much this is a picture about how that type of existence that type of life doesn't actually lead to the things that you want you know mm -hmm. it doesn't actually make you happy it just makes you a jerk <laughs> that nobody wants yep. to be around um and and it makes you a liability to society <laughs> in the end as you were kind of talking about and that people that push this idea of no mercy um, you know, no prisoners. You know, this isn't Lawrence of Arabia, folks. <laughs> like, you know, um, and so, and and the how dangerous that that type of idea is. And so, I I I love the juxtaposition that we get here of this life of no mercy, this life of of um just being a complete hard ass all the time doesn't really get you what you want. And I thought it, it it's so well done. And like you said, there's an over the topness to all of this. But it say at the same time, I would say the beauty of that is that there's a subtleness to the way that they're juxtaposing against the toxic masculinity. You know, I yeah, I, absolutely. I I mean that that's the thing, right? Is is what I think is really um because you mentioned it, it's sort of a hot topic, but I think what makes it so fraught is that there are people arriving at that conclusion now. And I would say that those of us who 
did grow up with movies like The Karate Kid, the message was always there. Don't be like Johnny. Johnny's a bad, terrible. No, don't do that. That's terrible. That's bad. Be like Daniel, who seeks out somebody who teaches him patience and and tolerance. And Mr. Miyagi says to him, you know, I, I think one of the most beautiful and important lessons is when they're out on the boat and he says, why do you learn karate to fight? And he goes, no, I learned karate not to fight. And he goes, there's hope for you yet, Daniel-san, right? Like that's the whole thing is you use your brain and you use your heart and you use them to avoid fighting. Fighting's not anything you want to do. Fighting's a bad thing. Like that's that's a thing you do when you have no other options available to you. When Johnny comes at you, you have to know how to defend yourself right. sort of thing. Right? But you don't go out there seeking trouble. And the people that go out there seeking trouble, they're they're awful people. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that what's really interesting about the Cobra Kai dojo is that they have this this dysfunctional power structure where Johnny's obviously at the top of it. He's the instructor's preferred student, his the apple of the, the instructor's eye. But you do have at least one member who shows some sort of conscience on occasion and tries to keep Johnny from basically... Right wiping out Daniel and doesn't want to sweep the light. He still does it for whatever reason. I mean, it, it, it will always be interesting to me. I think that the, the character that really for some reason jumps out at me now, well, I mean, not just for some reason, I think I know why is I forget the character's name, but the one that, that basically cripples Daniel. Yep. At the end, he runs over to him. And he goes, I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it. And all I can think to myself is, well, then why did you? And that's that's one of those things where I would love I have not watched Cobra Kai, but I want to revisit that character and see how he feels about what he's done mm-hmm. in his life. Because this is obviously a guy who didn't want to be that bad, but yeah. for some reason still went along with the group. And it's just well, and, weird. And it's the I think one of the things is that what we kind of see with this whole idea of like toxic masculinity is it is about influence right the people that you allow to influence in your life and and the power of and and this kind of is another thing that we are seeing in in life in these days is the power of the mob right that the power Mm -hmm. of 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 um you know you're so entrenched with uh a a part of society that even when they are doing something that which you know isn't right you can't stop doing it you know because you have too much invested now in this, and I think mm-hmm. there's a real uh, again the the subtleness of the way that this is being done. Like you said, so many movies back in the '80s were kind of talking about this idea. This is Star Wars, right? The idea mm-hmm. of that uh, the 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 force is not for attack; it's for defense only. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's for knowledge and wisdom. Same thing we see with karate, right? Karate is about centering the mind, centering the body, centering the whole self, you know, so that if needed, one can defend themselves. But hopefully in that centeredness, you will be able to find a way to not fight, you know. And so whereas, you know, the other side, the Cobra Kai, it's like, no, you just go and you beat out of people what you want and and obviously we see that there's there's really no uh there's no joy to that there's no love in that there's no grace in that there's no mercy in that um mm-hmm. and it's a life that which leads to just pain and suffering really yeah and you have to ask yourself this whole time of the emptiness that has to be there in the hearts of these cobra kai guys that are there in the dojo i i I would look at this place and and be uh, amazed if i again i get back to the parent as a parent if my kid came to me and said i want to join this this karate dojo okay well you know i'm going to do my due diligence i'm going to sit down i'm going to check it out with you and i'd sit in one class and i would just take my kid i'd say no there's 
not a chance in hell you're going to be in this place. This right. is awful. So then, you know, you, you can open up that whole that whole can of worms about how there's this failure of parenting with all of these mm-hmm. kids because it's they basically offloaded them to this military guy who, I mean, I'd love to write a He's backstory for this guy. Well, I'd love to write a backstory for the guy. He probably had like this is the type of guy where he has like the the necklace of ears or something like that, you know, or yeah. or human teeth that's like hanging in his in his office or something. Like he's a true psychotic. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things yeah. that just really um really just I I bristle and I you got to give credit though because that performance is so perfectly evil. Mm-hmm. It's so yeah. brilliantly evil. And you see this this whole thing play out. Um, and it, it, it's really hard not to talk it up too much because there are things that are still good and light and funny in this movie. But I think it's so hard not to focus on that aspect of it. Like that is you, if you mention the karate kid or back, you roll it back several years and you say something about the Karate Kid. Somebody's either going to say Danielson, they're going to imitate the crane kick, or they're going to say, you know, uh, um, no Put fear. Him in a body bag, Johnny. Yeah. Put him in a body bag. Yeah, or no fear, no mercy, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Like there are Cobra Kai T-shirts because everybody it's it's that yeah. it's that zeitgeist villain that everybody latched onto, sort of thing. You know, and and I think one of the beauties of the film is the way that it shows the difference between toxic masculinity and true manhood. And what mm-hmm. we do see here is that these two manhoods are passed on, right? But true manhood, the kind that Mr. Miyagi is, is teaching Daniel, is one that truly does you need to be mentored. It takes an older man truly pouring into a younger man his experience, his wisdom, um, his his uh, mistakes, you know, um, and helping them find their way in a safe environment, you know, that mm-hmm. that allows them to make some mistakes, um, but also at the same time to to truly find their own way in their teachings, you know. And I think there's a real beauty um, because Daniel is taught this way of honor. He's taught when to fight and when not to fight. And part of that is because he's having it modeled for him in a man who truly believes these things. And I think there's a, there's just, I keep saying it, there really is a true beauty to that because that's what it means to train the next generation. And it takes work. It takes time. It takes frustration. It takes pain of watching them maybe make mistakes. It takes um, all of these things, you know, and and what the beautiful part about this, I think, is that what we learn is that, you know, Miyagi lost his wife. He lost his child. And one of the worst mistakes that the United States has ever made with, you know, mm-hmm. the resettlement of the Japanese. And he was fighting for the United States in World War II, in Germany, trying to make sure that those type of things never happened. And this is his second chance. He could have said no. He could have heard the conversation between the um, uh, between Daniel and his mother. But instead, he makes the choice to act. He makes the choice to insert himself into this boy's life in a way that will allow him to have the father figure to which he does not have and to be able to teach him these things that he would have passed on to his own child. And there's such greatness in that storyline. And I think it just shows how important it is then for young men to truly be taught by older men through mentoring, but through example that really makes this work and and it makes this movie, like I would say... You know, it takes it to a whole new level, honestly. Well, I think that the the even more important thing is one, and I, I really it really jumped out at me this time. I think maybe just because I was watching it with a little bit more critical, knowing I was going to have a conversation about it, sort of thing. But there is a true uh, mirroring of the way it usually worked in 
the uh, you know the the martial arts flicks that I used to grow up watching on UHF stations and stuff like that, where the student the teacher doesn't just start teaching. The student has to sort of earn their way into the training. They have to follow the clues to get to the master to understand what's going on. That uh, that sort of journey does happen. That you know, The frustration that Daniel feels, oh, why am I doing these things? I don't understand what I'm learning here. Yeah. And, you know, and you mentioned Star Wars earlier. It's the same thing that happens with Luke. The old master is waiting for the new student to figure out what's going on sort of thing. But I think it's also, to your point, important to point out that Mr. Miyagi doesn't insert himself and say, I'm going to teach you how to kick butt. The first thing he does is an act of extreme kindness, which is he fixes his bike for him. No expectation of anything. Just, you know what? I, I'm going to do something nice for you because some something nice has not happened to you. Mm-hmm. And... Then when Daniel shows up, he doesn't say, I got to show you how to toughen up. Uh, You know, no mercy, strike first, strike hard. No, he says, this is a bonsai tree. Picture Mm -hmm. it in your mind. Focus. Reach out. Make the tree. What if I make a mistake? You can't make a mistake because it's yours. You chose how to do this. So he's, he's giving him these kindness lessons first. These lessons in decency, it's not just jumping to, oh, these kids roughed you up. I'm going to teach you five quick moves so that you can break his wrist the next time he comes at you. Right. It's it's about, I'm going to help you cope with these things by not having to live them and see that there is kindness and love and generosity in the world, which yeah. is a big deal, right? Because that's, the, that's really one of the first lessons that Mr. Miyagi teaches Daniel is... Don't think that the whole world is like Johnny and his crew. Yeah. That there is good love and kindness out there and you can find it and it, it balances and it can help you find a new way out of those things so that you don't fall into the trap. How different would it have been for that kid who winds up uh, injuring Daniel if somebody like Mr. Miyagi had been there for him instead of... Which, of course, gets me back to where are all of these kids' parents? Because, like, what awful parenting is going on right now? And, um, and you know, honestly, her parents, too. What, a, like, I can tell you as the father of, of daughters that if my daughter brought Johnny home, I wouldn't say, is there a problem with the lovebirds? I would go over to Johnny and his parents. I'd be like, look, th- this kid doesn't come near my daughter again. Yeah. You, you, okay. Do you understand <laughs> what I'm saying to you right now? I will get the cops involved if I have to, you know, that sort of thing. Well, and, and so I, I'm so glad you brought that up because, you know, one of the things that I feel like this movie does so well is discussing this idea of dealing with disappointment. Like you said, Miyagi treats him with kindness, right? He helps him see that the world, like you said, is not all Johnny's. And mm-hmm. and I think, you know, as I look at our world today, what I am seeing is a place to which if some if you've been disappointed, if you've been hurt, then it is okay to respond in kind. Um mm-hmm. so you bully the bullies. Well, doesn't that just make you a bully too? Mm-hmm. And we don't want to say that. But I think it's important that this movie shows us that. That Daniel never turns himself into a bully. He pulls a prank on Johnny in the movie. But he's not kicking his ass. You know, like there's a difference between a harmless prank and something where you're beating somebody with an inch of their life. You know, yeah, here, here's here. Here's the thing is, is I, I'm sorry to cut you off, but because the thing is, when you approach that and you see what Daniel does. There are a couple of things that go out there. Daniel gets an egg thrown on his head. Yeah. And what's his reaction? Is he laughs? Okay, I got to clean up. Johnny gets water. Water. Which dries, last time I checked, on him. And he doesn't laugh it off. He freaks out. And he wants to go harm and act completely disproportionately to it. Uh, There's also the fact that... uh, (laughs) I had to say to my kids when they saw it, 
wait a minute. What's he doing? He's rolling a cigarette. A cigarette? You do that? Yeah, some people roll cigarettes. But I mean, he's lighting up a joint in the school bathroom. So, you know, there's there's this whole thing of Daniel should not have done what he did. But at the same time, Johnny's reaction is completely disproportionate with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is in fact a harmless prank and an inconvenience at worst. And yeah. I, I'm sorry to have cut you off for that, but it's just, it's, no, no, no. it's really, it's one of those things where, um, you know, maybe an older brother might look at a younger brother and say, you know, if you do something like that to me, I'm going to dole out some justice here, but it's going to be, I'll get you back sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's not, I'm going, it's not, I'm going to have my friends, beat the living snot out of you and then maybe cave your chest in and unless somebody comes in and saves you sort of thing. Right. Well, and I think what we see there is that, you know, what is Daniel's original desire, which is he wants to learn how to beat the crap out of people who are beating the crap out of him. Mm -hmm. And what we see there is that that is a very normal and very real desire for all of us who have been hurt by somebody. Mm-hmm. Miyagi teaches him another way. He teaches him the way to, uh, you know, in many ways, it's the third way, you know, uh, which is to earn their respect, you know. And, and that's what I think is beautiful about the end of the movie is the way Daniel deals with all the dis- disappointments that have happened to him in this film. He's had to move. He got kicked off the soccer team for a reason that wasn't about him. You know, he was truly just defending himself at that point. And and he takes it a little far. Um, He probably shouldn't Mm -hmm. have, you know, jumped on the guy at that point. But, you know, the guy scissors him, which is totally illegal in soccer. Uh, So, um, and... You know, he's he's been looked down upon by the girl he likes family because he's not from the rich side of town. Like he's had tons of disappointments. And and again, our world would say we have every reason to get back at these people and treat them like crap and all of these type of things. And yet Daniel doesn't do any of those things. What Daniel does is he goes uh, and he's taught by Miyagi a third way, which is to learn to defend oneself. But to make fighting not the first choice. In fact, make it the mm-hmm. last choice. And if it needs to be done, do it in a way that earns their respect, not in a way that leaves them beaten to a pulp on the floor. And there's such a difference yeah. to that. There, There is. I think that um, sometimes, I think that the movie fumbles that a little bit with how far evil Cobra Kai goes. Um and so it, you know, it it should have rained some of that stuff in. It makes it a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. But, but to your point about find, finding the third way, we know full well, uh, especially by the end of the movie, that uh, when those two um, racists are hanging out at the car, mm-hmm. Miyagi could have just completely mopped the floor with them, and instead he just freaks them out and scares them by chopping the tops off of the beer bottles, and. So that that I I would say speaks to your point about the third way, as it were, where it's he could easily manhandle those two drunk buffoons, those horrible people. But instead, he gives them a little thrill and, you know, just to show them I'm choosing not to destroy you. And it gets them to maybe think about, you know, some of the choices in their in their lives, as it were. Um because I also have to ask, who is that drunk and dressed like that at the beach uh, at that time of day? It's puzzling to me. But what are you going to yeah. do? People who don't have any life. What? Oh, very so, true. Yeah. Very, very true. You know. Very true. Um, and and they're making fun of him. So yeah, um, right. Exactly. Well, and I, you know, I do. So I wanted to, you know, obviously talk about the cast but i think it's a good place to start with mr miyagi because i do think uh that pat marita his performance here is really special and it all Mm -hmm. comes down to that scene where daniel comes over and he's drunk and daniel learns about who this man is and what his life has been and the choices that mr miyagi has made 
to not live his life in just absolute pain and and anger and bitterness you know that the life that he's chosen is none of that mm-hmm. and i think it's a really good portrayal of that that doesn't get you anything all mm-hmm. that that leads to is a life of of joylessness you know if you live in nothing but bitterness all life it will eat you alive and mm-hmm. obviously he he lives with pain and it comes out in that scene where you know it's his anniversary and um and yet the rest of his life is not defined by this one thing he's not allowed his life to be defined by only one thing and he's chosen again a third way and mm-hmm. it's really beautiful and his performance i'm actually stunned by it every time i watch this movie because that scene alone there's such riches to it. And then that moment where he gives him the car, you know, and he just kind of puts his arms up on the car and he puts his head down. And it's like, you can tell Daniel, this is his son now. You know, that's mm-hmm. how he feels about this child. This has become the child he never had. And he will treat yep. this child that same way for the rest of his life. And there's, it's in, it's, I don't know, man, it, it's so good. Movie doesn't work without Pat Morita. Period. Full stop. He he is the heart and soul of this movie. Uh, that's not to take anything away from Ralph Macchio or or Elizabeth Shue or anybody else who's in it. Um, but Pat Morita, I, I think you're right. His his performance is that type of special uh, because he has such a natural charisma that that comes across on the screen, and he actually winds up reminding me, you know, oh the the, the wisdom of hindsight sort of thing is there was a person who was in my past who was not a Mr. Miyagi character by any stretch, but was a little bit of a mentor to me uh, for a time. And she was quirky and I was a teenager and, you know, she tried to mentor a lot of, a lot of kids and I remember it was always one of those things where, oh, why is she being so odd and what's going on? And I remember my mom got to know her. And all my mom would say to me was, you don't know what everybody's gone through. And, and she's gone through a lot. And I remember her saying to me that Lori made a choice. She could have, exactly like you're saying, she could have become bitter and closed herself off. But she made a choice instead to open herself up to the world and try to make things great for other people. Mm. And, you know, it, it became, you know, a lesson for me, you know, when I, when I was a teenager sort of thing to suddenly start thinking about things differently. Uh, but, you know, to your point, Pat Morita conveys that in his performance effortlessly. Oh, and yeah. yeah. It's just, it's, you believe in Mr. Miyagi. There's a reason Mr. Miyagi became a cultural touchstone. Everybody fell in love with Pat Morita in this movie. There's not a single person that didn't. Uh, And I just, you know, I just can't imagine another actor. Like, for me, that is the true mark of an incredible performance, is I can't even imagine another actor doing the same job and i think that this is that type of performance i cannot see anybody else in that role i mean he's like the human yoda yeah i mean that that's yeah he he really is in 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 so many ways and in in many ways he is yoda in the sense that like when you think about all yoda had been through and we, we learn you know like there's so many similarities to those characters and yet what do they choose to do? They choose to find a way to make the world a better place rather than mm-hmm. making the world a miserable place. Uh, right. And, and there, that takes true strength and true courage and true honor. And that's what these characters are about. So a hundred percent, um, you know, and one of the things I think maybe when I was younger, I might've made fun of Ralph Macchio in this role. But there's, again, we brought up this word earlier, but there's authenticity to his portrayal of he's a 
and and the beauty here is that we found people who were kids to play these roles, right? These aren't mm-hmm. like 25-year-olds trying to play 16-year-olds. These are actual kids. And mm-hmm. it's perfect for the movie because it makes the movie much more authentic. And Ralph Macchio's portrayal, man, who hasn't thrown a tantrum like that? You know, when you just got beat up or... You, you know, and you hate your bike and it, you're taking it out on your bike instead of because you got nothing else to take it out on or when mm-hmm. you're complaining to your mom and, and the fight that they have. It's so real when he's like, you know, you don't want to hear it. You don't want to hear it. Mm-hmm. You want to hear how great everything is because everything's going well with you. But my life sucks and I just want to be back home. You know, like it's it's great writing, but he portrays it perfectly. I agree. He became a superstar after this for good reason. Um, He never escaped this role. There was no way he was ever going to. Uh, So in a sense, you sort of think in terms of, well, that's too bad for an actor. But at the same time, he has enjoyed a, you know, again, he's a cultural icon. Everybody knows Ralph Macchio. (laughs) Everybody knows Daniel Son. You know, Daniel LaRusso. You say that name to anybody of a certain age and they know immediately who you're talking about. And those are that's Luke Skywalker level character. That's that's just it. You're you're there. You are part of the conversation that that shapes every sort of thing that that goes forward from that point. And, you know, I I think that. um, Macho was a great choice. I think that he does play the role exactly the way that it needs to be played. Uh, but I think that the, the true strength of his performance is the scenes with Pat Morita. Mm-hmm. And I have to wonder if what we're witnessing, and I'm not saying it was intentional or not, but the chemistry between them, I think works really well because you have an actor who has acted for years who he's a veteran of television. He was on happy days and everything like that. You have another situation where you have somebody who's got more experience helping to make the younger, more inexperienced person look that much better because he's giving a great example for Machio to match his performance. I absolutely agree. I think you're, you're right in that, and um, I, I think it's it's fun to just watch them. I mean, and, and what's great about all of their scenes together, um, and obviously you needed them to have chemistry, otherwise this movie would have sucked, but oh, the yeah. best part about it is how real they feel together. They feel so natural together. Yep. Which is a lot of fun, and, and all of their scenes are fun. Um, and so, you know, I, it's funny, I, I, you know, Elizabeth Shue, it's been, she's been one of those actresses, you know, she's in so many things. And one of the things I'm always fascinated with here is, is her, I think, very natural performance in this, this character. I think she plays the, the girl who is tired of getting pushed around and truly is looking for a better guy. You know, and um, she wants somebody who's going to treat her well, treats her the way she deserves to be treated um, at, with respect. And um, I like that she also is is a character who doesn't take being treated less than she deserves. And uh, I think she does it really well. Um, I liked her. I really like her performance here. Um, and especially the scenes, you know, where they're fighting at um the big amusement park uh, golf and, and stuff yeah uh and and where they make up uh i thought that that all of those scenes there were really great and they both play them really well so yeah i think she's a she's a good addition to this film i think she does a great job i agree i i mean i i can't really add too much to that i i mean i think i think that with these three lead actors and I think that uh, we'll we'll see it, you know, with the the rest of the cast as well. I mean, Avildsen knows how to cast a movie. He knows how to get the chemistry necessary. 
because you look back at Rocky, you look at the other stuff that he's done and he, you know, he, he understands. And I think that informs how important he, you have a director who knows how important it is to get these performances out of these actors. And I think that's, that's why we're sitting here able to praise them the way that we, we do. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that's that's obviously really important is that you need, you know, people that can if you're going to if you're going to cast these roles as villains, you know, you need somebody who can stand up to the role and and do it in a way that does kind of make you hate them. Um, but what's great is that, you know, Cove obviously plays it perfectly. So you never like this guy. But even Zabka gives Johnny just that little hint of like possible redemption. You know, when he hands him the trophy, he's like, you're all right. You know, LaRusso, you're all right. And like, even he's realized because of, of everything that Daniel's been through, like he's put that guy through the ringer, literally. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. yet he can't knock him down. Uh, he can't keep him down. And, um, it's it's a, both of them give great performances. Uh, I you know, and it, again, it's one of those things where the movie just it wouldn't work if these guys weren't in it um, because they're they're so iconic now. Uh, and maybe it's hard to even picture somebody else at this point. But, you know, I, I watch it and. I'm I'm trying to be as critical as possible, and I just don't see anything really about their performances that. Uh, is is not good. I you know maybe I could pick on on Zabka a little bit with some of his line deliveries, but I think it all just helps the character in the end. Yeah, I, I mean, I you know Zabka is great, but I'll I'll rain a lot of love on uh, on Cove. He's just having the time of his life in this movie. I think <laughs> this this is this is sort of like Christopher Plummer as Chang in Star Trek Six. Yes, maybe you can tell this is peace. a guy. May he rest in peace. You can tell this is a guy who loved showing up to work every morning. This was this was this was good for him. This was he's he's on board. He's at he's he's on time for call, and he is ready to figure out how to make this guy just an absolute reprobate and play him in a way that makes you love hating him. And just look, he he has a Darth Vader quality about him. That it, you know, and, and pre Anakin Skywalker's past Darth Vader, just yeah. that sort of monolithic evil bad guy sort of thing. You don't even want to know what makes this guy tick because it's undoubtedly something that bothers you. And yep. ju- he just, I think, I think what's also great about him is his vocal quality is such that you can believe this guy as ex-military psychopath. I am willing to bet he is one of the nicest people you've ever met. Like you you show up and if he were on set bef- between takes, he was probably having a sandwich with everybody. He's like, yeah, you know, hey, I, I have a good time. And then it just seemed, I'm willing to bet that he just turned it on the second that they said action. And the, the way he stands there, his body language, the way he tucks in his hands into his belt, which no, that's a big no, no, but like all of those sorts of things just make his character come to life. And, uh, you know, I love crease. I love hating that character. Yeah. No, I, I mean the, the best part about what you said is like, there's nothing to add. He just, he, they're the, the thing about this cast is that they're perfectly cast. Everybody yeah. works in their roles and you know, it, it has become one of those things where all of these characters have found a, an iconic status of their own. And yep. that's the hallmark of, of a movie like this. And, you know, at the same time too, you know, just lastly, I'm thinking of, you know, this is a movie to which you have that iconic song at the end, like all great eighties movies do. And in many ways, I would say it's, you know, it's right up there with the Rocky Three, Eye of the Tiger. You know, it's it's that it's that kind of song. It's the kind of song you want to listen to, you know, when you're headed to the beach for the day, you know, and you, or you're getting that run in. And, you know, it's like it 
it's such a an enjoyably cheesy song, uh, and I love every second of it. I take it you're you're talking about "You're the Best" by Joe Bean Esposito, and not "Cruel Summer" by Banana Rama. Well, that's because, also a fantastic song too, because that's also in this movie. Yes, because both of those songs are great for driving to the beach. Just going to put that out there. It is, but ex- yeah, you're right. "You're the Best" is one of those songs that I could listen to on a loop every day of my life because I would love to, you know, I don't know why I haven't programmed it as the, the wake up alarm on my phone because you hear that song. You just want to start jumping around. You're like, yeah, I can take on the day. This is fantastic. So what you're if right, I, 100... I am the best. <laughs> so what if I have a hundred emails in there and 50 of them are from people that just didn't read the email I sent them last night. Who cares? I'm the best around that sort of thing. Um, yeah, I think that, uh, I think that, I, I mean, the 80s, it is really difficult for me to think of a decade of film where the music supervisors nailed it more perfectly for all of the big budget, not big budget, but all of the big blockbuster films. Those soundtracks were insane in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Tarantino got to be known for it in the 90s, but Tarantino is a child of the 70s and the 80s. He's informed by these these movies and the these soundtracks that came out. Karate Kid, Ghostbusters was even a, a killer soundtrack. Um the Rocky movies, like they're, they're basically nothing but music videos after the first one. And it's just it's just, I, I agree. I'm I'm saying all of that just to say I agree. But you you've also got a score from Bill Conti. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I was just about to say that. <laughs> come on, right? Like, if you want music that's going to make you feel like you can just, you know, launch yourself into the stratosphere, those are the elements you're looking for right there. And no matter what somebody might think of the Karate Kid as a film, this soundtrack is killer it's fantastic yeah no i 100 percent agree with you and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up it because it you know of course you know bill conti gives us the greatness of rocky and he does the same thing with the karate kid but he's able to find a, a different feel but kind of give you the same feelings you know and that's genius so mm-hmm. uh, no absolutely i mean it, it's it's one of those things where as we get to like what we rate the karate kid uh, it's hard to rate it, you know, I know for the nostalgia we both have, but I am interested, you know, as you watched it this time, where do you come down uh, on the original Karate Kid? I know it's at least partially powered by by nostalgia. I wind up at a four and a half. Um, I, I know that I could be harsher on this. I also know part of that is just being older and more cynical about stuff. I like, I, I have to remind myself sometimes this is, this is a fairy tale. It's a myth. It's it's larger than life sort of thing. Like again, you know, I already I already talked about how, you know, Cobra Kai Dojo, there's there's no way they've got the insurance waiver for that. Right. There is no point fighting tournament on the face of the planet where people are taking each other to the ground and or right. not have pads on. It doesn't happen like the, the, it's 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 that thing again where it it transgresses and goes to bigger than reality. If for no other reason, even if people are bristling and saying, oh, there must be a tournament like that. No, this is this is, a, you know, the all valley tournament. And again, I get back to if you really watch this with that sort of like cynical, not willing to play along with it sort of thing at the end there's no insurance waiver large enough for that tournament to exist. You're, right. you're talking about a tournament where people are getting kicked in the eyes and, and ribs broken and, and legs. Sh- no, no, this, it, it becomes blood sport at that point. That's not going to happen, yep. but I, I'm sorry to ramble on like that. No, that, no, that's, I think it's great. I, I think it's good that there's so much nostalgia to combat that <laughs> and bring it back up to a four and a half. Where do you, where do you end up with it? Yeah. I mean, you know, I I've never done a martial arts, so I don't have the that thought process whatsoever. You know, going on in my brain, which is nice, I guess. You know, like I don't have to think about that reality aspect that you do. 
um, because I know you have done martial arts for a lot of your life. And so um, not having that, I think, you know, the thing that brought me to this rating was what we talked about, where this movie has so much to say that's Mm -hmm. really good. Especially, uh, and again, you know, one of the things where I'm noticing with what we're talking about on Snyder Cuts is how many of the movies have something to say for us now, even more so than they did when they came out. And Mm. this movie has so many important messages for people, I think, to be reminded of here. And it's great because of it. It makes it a legitimate joy to rewatch. And... The 4K looks great, by the way. I mean, just stunning. So this is definitely a four and a half out of five stars for me as well. I mean, it's it's a phenomenal film, and I'm so glad to be able to revisit it whenever. You know, and, and what's great about this movie, too, is like I could legitimately put it in any time. Like, it's yeah. that kind of movie, too. So, yeah, uh, I have no qualms about giving it four and a half out of five. Uh, a few quibbles I could probably have here and there, but like you, yeah, who cares, you know? So, yep. um, we've reached the part of the show, John, where we do some recommendations for people. So, kind of wondering what you would like to recommend to the listeners of the 602 Club this week. You know, you, you always catch me flat-footed with this because I'm, <laughs> I, I always, I always forget that the recommendations are part of it. And so you always catch me off guard. And I I should remember uh, these recommendations. But I would say that um, right now, actually, I just finished a book uh, called A Long Time Ago in a Cutting Room Far, Far Away. I saw you reading that on Goodreads. How was it? Uh, phenomenal. It's Paul Hirsch, uh, legendary film editor, Paul, Paul Hirsch, who did work on Star Wars and and The Empire Strikes Back. And he, and also on a lot of De Palma films, he also worked on um, Ray. He also worked on um, uh, uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which is one of the most perfect comedies that that ever existed. Um, Ferris Bueller, all of these sorts of things. Like he's had an incredible career. And so he basically recounts his life as seen through his career as you would expect from an editor, he tells it very much focused on keeping the story moving. And so parts that only need to be a couple of paragraphs are a couple of paragraphs. And then he jumps to the next story and then he can tie in other stuff. And so it play it. It's, it's a breeze of a read and I, I heartily, heartily recommend it. Yeah, that's awesome. I saw that you were reading that, and uh, I couldn't wait to see what you thought of it because I'll definitely have to pick that up. Uh, yes, you and, do, and give it a, a read. So, grow, add to my ever-growing list of books to read here in twenty uh, twenty-one. <laughs> but apparently, I've got nothing else to do. So, um, other than <laughs> thousands of podcasts, uh, you know, I, my <laughs> wife and I, uh, we we had seen this. We we have, you know, we've got our Apple TV, and and we keep seeing this show. Ted Lasso and we watched the trailer for it the other day finally with the sound on because they play the trailers if you see them without the sound and you actually have to watch you know so anyway we watched the trailer was like oh this looks really funny oh my gosh uh, this is okay put preface by saying it's not a show for the whole family but for adults if you want a show that is going to make you feel good about life for the first time in a year and a half well, folks, I've found the show for you, and it's Ted Lasso. And uh, we haven't even finished it yet, and we are enjoying it so much right now. We're laughing. We're uh, feeling joyful watching it. It's just such a good, feel-good show. So um, if you don't have an Apple Plus, pay the four ninety nine for a month, you know, to watch it. It's pretty cheap to watch 10 episodes of a show. Um, it's mm-hmm. worth it. You know, uh, so I highly recommend Ted Lasso to you, especially if you just need a great laugh and to feel good. So um, that's what I'm going to recommend to you. But, John, uh, before we get out of here, where can everybody find you online if they want to catch up with you? Well, you can find me online as Kessel Junkie, K-E-S-S-E-L-J-U-N-K-I-E. Uh, you mentioned Goodreads, Goodreads and Letterboxd are where I have a lot of fun. Vero is also a great social network to connect on. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. Yes, I'm 
trying to figure out how to quit, but whatever. Um, and you can actually find me over on the Nerd Party. Uh, I'm a co-host on House Lights, where we look at the work of directors. And I'm a co-host with you, Matt, over on Aggressive Negotiations, a Star Wars podcast that prides itself in our uh, deep dives into the nooks and crannies of the Star Wars galaxy. Absolutely. It's so much fun doing that show together every week. Uh, of course, uh, we're also hanging out together here on Snyder Cuts, uh, which, you know, uh, we can talk about and we get to talk about all of the works of Zack Snyder one movie at a time. In fact, we went all the way back and covered like his works on short films and uh, we talked about his music videos and it's been really fun to just kind of dissect a, a director like that and one that we're doing our very best to give a fair shake uh, because that's something that hasn't really happened. So uh, if you're excited or interested in, um, you know, this Snyder Cut coming out or maybe you just want to kind of hear two people try to take a very even handed look at this director, please give Snyder Cuts a uh, try it's uh in our feed right now with the 602 club so it's right there for you uh you can find me on all of the social medias that i'm on under matt rushing 02 so please just search for that and follow me there you can also find me here on the network doing literary treks as well as the orb literary treks is about the books and the comics of star trek and the orbs about star trek teen space nine and then, of course, I'm also over on the Nerd Party Network, not just doing aggressive negotiations, but I do owl posts with Drea Kaufman as we talk about the Harry Potter universe. Uh, and we're doing that one chapter at a time throughout the series. So it's great. Uh, we're almost done with it. So I hope you'll join us. Uh, and then with all that said, thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear? You hear?